They get so wrapped up with their identity and the business that they just can't bear to think, maybe I should shoot this and go have another idea. And you really have to re-engineer your mindset and think like a scientist, which is, I am testing hypotheses. And I'm, my hypothesis is that people will pay me $29.95 for this. Well, that didn't work. So does that mean I'm a failure? No, it means my hypothesis was a dud. On this episode of The Creator Community, we'll meet Bob Jones, a serial entrepreneur that went through a variety of careers before landing in his true calling, starting his own company, and then moving on to helping many other entrepreneurs face the many challenges there are to starting their own companies. We'll hear about Bob's early start as a garbage man, as well as his passion for music. We'll follow Bob's journey to the lessons he learned from playing music in front of live audiences that he's been able to transfer to coaching and leadership. We'll also learn the most common mistakes he's seen dozens of entrepreneurs make over the years and how to overcome them. And we'll learn how all of this led to his first book, The Startup Starter Kit. Check out the show. Welcome to the Creator Community. This is a podcast from book publisher, New Degree Press, or NDP. I'm your host, John Saunders. This show is designed to celebrate, elevate, and showcase many of the incredible authors that have published their books with NDP. We'll learn it in this show. We learn about the author, their book, and their journey. This year, NDP will cross over 1,500 published authors from six continents and earn the 293rd spot on the Inc. 5000 list. This is the fastest growing privately held companies in America. If you've ever thought of writing a book but weren't sure where to start or finish, visit creator.institute to learn more. This is episode seven of season five, and today I have with me Bob Jones. Bob is a serial entrepreneur with international business expertise and two patents in the field of nutrition. Bob mentors with MIT's Venture Mentoring Service. He has served as a judge at MIT's $100,000 business plan competition. He's a national advisor for Pipeline Entrepreneurs, where he leads several intensive workshops for high-growth entrepreneurs. He has an AB in biology from Princeton University and an MSM MBA plus thesis from MIT. After hours, Bob is an enthusiastic motorcyclist and an active musician performing regularly with a Boston area blues band. He also volunteers with a group that plays in local homeless shelters. Bob, great to see you. Welcome to the show. Thank you, John. It's a privilege to be here. It is really an honor to have you on and to get to share your story with our listeners. You know, before we get into your book, I think it's always fascinating to hear you've got a pretty eclectic background, Bob. You know, tell us a bit more about this career journey and, and how this work led you to this book. Well, eclectic is a diplomatic way of saying ridiculous, but thank you. After I got out of college, John, I had a, a lot of goofy jobs. I taught school in the projects in Philadelphia for a while. I drove a garbage truck in Valley Forge State Park. I just had a number of crazy jobs, finishing up with a year as a professional musician. Finally said, I'm never going to stop playing music, but I got to do something else. And I went to business school. and. I guess I believed the the press releases and thought, sure, I'm going to go out and become a captain of industry and make a lot of money. And what I didn't anticipate was I didn't enjoy it. I mean, the shoes looked great, but they didn't fit. I couldn't wait to get out of them. So I eventually started a company and I made a mess out of it, which was baffling to me because I thought, geez, I'm a halfway smart guy. I work hard. I've got a master's degree in business. How could I screw up a little company like this? 
but I couldn't find any resources out there. There was nobody who would help me. And so I just blundered along, did a few more, and ended up starting four companies here in Boston with a group of docs out of Harvard Med School. Had a couple of impressive failures and an occasional success. And people would say, well, how'd you do that? And I'd help them and they'd say, oh my God, nobody's helped me like this before. And I found I, I really enjoyed it. And I would spin out stories and sometimes they'd say, oh my God, Bob, you got to write a book. And here you are. And here I am. So you were a garbage man playing some music, went to business school, said, I love this line, the shoes didn't fit, right? Great thought there. And found out that there was a unique ability that you had, which is helping others live through and overcome some of the challenges you saw starting companies. You had this encouragement to go write a book. How did you go from actually taking that idea and turning it into a book? What was that journey like? About this time a year ago, I got an email from a name I didn't recognize. And she said, Bob, I was in that class you taught at MIT in 2017. I, I thought you were wonderful. So, of course, I thought she was brilliant. And then I <laughs> of course, realized that this is actually, you know, bullet point number one and how to contact somebody else. But she went on to say, I, I have written a book and I'd like to send you a couple of pre-publication chapters in the hopes that you give me comments for the book jacket. So I looked her up. There were 230 people in the class the evening I spoke to her, but I remembered her. She was good. And so I wrote her back and I said, I'll do it, but you have to tell me how you wrote a book. And she said, oh, I found this course out of Georgetown with this professor. I'll send you the link. So awesome. So I read her three chapters, wrote the comments, looked into the link, looked it over, and I thought, you know, forgive me for being skeptical or maybe cynical, but there are a lot of self-appointed experts in, in my world, and some of them are good and some of them aren't, and I'm a pretty experienced content provider by this point. I've given lots of talks and so forth. And I'm not so sure I'm going to jump into this, but I sat in on two Tuesday night sessions in a row and came away from it thinking, okay, I was wrong. Uh, this guy can teach some stuff that I don't know. And in both of those classes, I ended up learning things that would help me and would further the goal of writing a book. And I said, okay, I'm in, sign me up. That's awesome. So a little bit of a test ground, got a chance to absolutely see, see what it was about and, and really get a, a taste, which I think is really a great experience. And that's certainly something that we open up to people to check it out. And glad you had a positive experience from that. Try it before you buy it. There it is. And I appreciate your healthy level of skepticism. But, you know, it, this program hasn't produced 1,500 authors by chance. Coaching, author coaching on the Creator Institute side and then publishing with New Degree Press or NDP. Well, very excited to have you here in the program. But you're a busy guy, Bob. You're working. You're coaching all these people. You're playing music as much as you can, as I get that sense. How did you fit this into your life, the book journey? Well, it was a little bit insidious, John, and, and that at first it wasn't that hard. I'd knock off a couple hours here and a couple hours there in the evenings and sometimes play hooky from a chunk of time at work. But there's kind of a slippery slope because as I worked on it more, I got more and more interested in it, more and more engrossed in it. I began interviewing other entrepreneurs and Reflecting on their content, I grew introspective as to how what they were saying related to things I was trying to say and think. 
and my engagement grew, my time commitment grew, and pretty soon I became president of the Dull and Boring Society because all I did was work. <laughs> so <laughs> I would work all day helping a friend of mine turn around his troubled company, and then I'd eat dinner and put glue in my chair and sit there and work half the night on the book. And so I fitted in on an as-demanded basis, and as the demand increased, my time commitment increased. I really appreciate that perspective because sometimes we come in, we have a oftentimes a half-baked idea, what's this book about? And right, the process helps you refine that in a big, big way. And at first, you're in this divergence phase where you're doing all this interviewing, which is fun to connect with these people, learn, get these new perspectives and, and research. And it feels a bit unwieldy at first, right? Because it's you're diverging and just kind of wide and, uh, and and a little messy. And then you start to get this fine, this idea fine tuned, and it starts to converge. And I found that through my own journey. I mean, if I was ever sitting on my couch watching TV for more than ten seconds when I was writing my book, I thought, "Why am I not writing right now? I want to write. This is exciting." And I would run back to my office and would be in this chair from nine till sometimes one, two o'clock in the morning because I couldn't wait to get back to it. So I love that story. Sounds like we had a similar journey of finding our passion and mission there. That's awesome. It grew more and more engaging. And unwieldy is actually a pretty good term for uh, a section of it, uh, John, because I, I think I think it's easy to say a lot. It's hard to say a lot in a few words. And it's hard to organize it so that the thought processes are logical and flow, particularly if you're trying to teach people about stuff that they hadn't thought about and didn't know they needed to think about. How do you hire the right people for your company? If you hire enough people, you're going to hire a weenie somewhere along the way and you're going to have to fire them. So how do you know it's time to fire them? And how do you actually do it? And how do I organize that thought process in a way that it doesn't require 100 pages? How do I do it in a couple of pages? And just... It just got harder and harder, but more and more rewarding. So I mean, the benefit definitely exceeded the cost, but as the cost increased, so did the benefit. That is a definite gift. And part of the learning of this journey, right, is how do you take a really intense or complex topic and share it in maybe hundreds or maybe a few thousand words, which sounds like a lot, but oftentimes isn't when you're trying to deal with very complex issues. I vividly remember when I was in business school a few years ago, uh, the hardest, the, probably the most hours per page I spent on any paper was a three-page paper. And I think I spent like 20 yeah. hours on it because it was very complex questions and you had to get it down to three pages. And man, was that intense. Sounds like, and this very much similar experience. Very similar. So the Startup Starter Kit by Bob Jones, due out this fall, 2022, wherever you buy books online. Bob, what's it about? Well, I'm going to answer that question. I'm going to answer a second question, which is who is it for? It's it's not a collection of magic formulae. It's not the setting of unrealistic ideas. It's not follow these 12 steps and you'll become a zillionaire and buy an island. It's, it's jargon-free, no-nonsense guidelines developed the hard way by real entrepreneurs, including me, but also others, to help you not fall on your face in the first two years of starting a company. And if you're looking for detective fiction 
or a travel guide to islands in the Caribbean, the book's not for you. But if you're thinking about starting a company or if you already have a young company, you probably did that because you were really good at something. And you didn't realize that you also need to be pretty good at a lot of stuff that you were utterly unprepared to be good at. Your coursework never exposed you to it. Your corporate employment never exposed you to it. And you spend 90% of your time on the stuff you're not good at and only 10% of your time on the stuff you are good at. This will equip you to fix that. That is so interesting. Allocation of time, right? It's some some I think I read it in Forbes a number of years. I read a quote from him that said, the bees are busy, so what of it? Right. And many times we're busy, we're doing all these things, and yet our business isn't growing or getting us to where we want us to be. You've lived through a few failures in business and also launched your own successfully. Well, what kept you going and what helps you drive this mission? You know, what is your why behind this book? Well. Honestly, when I asked a parallel version of that question of the entrepreneurs I interviewed, they did a better job of answering that for themselves than I did for myself. And it boiled down to, I would like to feel like I've made an impact and I enjoy helping other people. And if in some infinitesimally small way, I can make the world a better place, I would like to do that. And what I've discovered is I have worked with people. If I can say, yeah, I tried that. It ran right into a buzzsaw. Don't do it. I can save them two years and a couple hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> save them from losing some of their most precious relationships because they're so bullheaded. They refuse to see the obvious. Then I feel like I've made a contribution. So what what keeps me going in all this is the realization that I'm condensing some really valuable stuff, hard won, hard learned for people who want to go off and make something out of nothing, which is prodigiously difficult. I mean, most companies are pretty good at taking something and making it into something bigger. It's very hard to take nothing and turn it into something. And if I can help you do that, then good for both of us. That's awesome. And right, there's so many entrepreneurs that struggle out there. And many times, as you said, it's they they get sort of stuck in one pattern of thinking because they're really good at one thing, which is what helped them design this new product, service, company, what have you. And you it sounds like you helped them unblock that. But what do you think it is? You know, you you researched and interviewed you know dozens of entrepreneurs and have your own work, a body of work to put into this 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 book you've written. What have you found it is that really gets people to start companies? You know, what what's the allure? What pushes them to do so? I think the initial impetus is often something simple, almost trivial. I hate the commute, or I just can't bear to go back into an office where people insist on heating up fish in the microwave. <laughs> and then it morphs into, I'll even take a cut and pay and return for the autonomy. And then with some additional introspection, it turns out that what I really want with a lot of these folks is a sense of freedom and the opportunity to perhaps pursue their dream and to feel like they've had an impact. And they end up thinking, I don't think I can have the kind of impact I wanna have if I work for 30 or 40 years for someone else. 
I just have to go do this for myself. They want some freedom. They want to have an impact. They want to help others with this big idea they've unearthed. But it's not so easy to always get that thing off the ground. And a lot of companies fail. I think three and four, three out of four fail. More like nine out of 10. Nine out of 10. All right. I've heard it's a high number, no matter matter the case. It's a high number. Right? And so why do so many companies fail, Bob? What have you seen there? I think there's two buckets full of reasons. Bucket number one is that they don't have a bunch of fundamental skills that they really need to have. I mean, I have friends, a friend, for example, who was superb at supply chain management, but he'd never run a marketing campaign. And someone said, how much should we charge for this? He was utterly flummoxed. So he was just lacking a lot of fundamental skills. And the second bucket is your mindset's all wrong. And it needs to be re-engineered. And let me elaborate on that for a second. Because some years ago, it was true in the world I lived in that if my business failed, that meant that I was a failure. And many of the people I knew thought that failure might be like a contagious disease, meaning they didn't want to get too close to me for fear they would catch the failure germ. (laughs) (laughs) And there are still a lot of people who wrestle with that. They get so wrapped up with their identity and the business that they just can't bear to think, maybe I should shoot this and go have another idea. And you really have to re-engineer your mindset and think like a scientist, which is, I am testing hypotheses. And I'm my hypothesis is that people will pay me $29.95 for this. Well, that didn't work. So does that mean I'm a failure? No, it means my hypothesis was a dud. So I'll test the next hypothesis. Maybe they'll pay me $24.95 for this. And eventually you'll find nobody will pay you anything. Well, then your idea was flawed. Have a new idea. But none of that means that you're a failure. And if you phrase that succinctly, you shift gears to think that failure is actually a learning experience, not a fatal event. So the two buckets are you need some fundamental skills that your coursework never prepared you for, never exposed you to. And you need to re-engineer your attitude and your mindset so that you approach this properly. Broader skill set and a different mindset. I really appreciate that. I'm thinking about failure as a learning curve so many times. You said a little bit about it in there. We, If it's, a, it's our ideas, our concept, our business, we associate it with our identity, right? And if it's not working, then we're not working, right? There's something wrong with us. How do you help people sort of think through that and sort of untether that? Well, I'm kind of blunt with them and just say, how do you feel about poverty (laughs) and and a life of ramen noodles? (laughs) Because you pretty clearly demonstrated that this isn't going to work. So let's think about this slightly differently. Let's postulate that you are the jockey. And as the jockey, you may have picked the wrong horse. You may have picked a horse that's just not going to make it all the way around the track. But if we can use the horse race as an opportunity to make you a better jockey, then you go pick a different horse. And maybe this time you will win the race. And, And quit feeling like this thing failed, therefore... It's the end of the world as we know it, or we have to go find a lovely bridge with a nice view and jump off. That's just not true. So let go of the idea 
You've proven that it wasn't a good idea. You've learned a lot. Let's go find a better idea. Pragmatic through and through is what I'm hearing for you, my friend. A blunt is another way to put it, I guess. Uh, right? Blunt it is. So, you know, some of the, you know, yourself and many others, I think there's a form of resiliency that helps keep founders to sort of rebound from these failures, these challenges, these where it's not working and they finally make a choose. They finally choose to move on. Why do some founders rebound and others don't? What have you seen there? Well, let me provide a moment of context. I think the whole notion of entrepreneurship and starting your own company is over-glamorized. People talk about the American dream and et cetera. Nobody talks about how hard it is and how frequently people fail. And again, being blunt, the simple fact is some people are not cut out for this. In fact, most people are not cut out for this. In fact, to pursue it yet further, the people who are cut out for this are frankly misfits. (laughs) And we do it because we have to. <laughs> it's just kind of wired into us. And I'm, so, I'm sensing the title of your next book here, buddy. Maybe. Misfits, misfits, <laughs> misfits are us. <laughs> and so, when they fail, and every honest entrepreneur I've ever met will confess after a while, yeah, I failed. I screwed this one up to a fairly well. Uh, ends up after a while thinking. But, you know, and then they want to do it again and they want to do something else. And they sometimes they dive back into corporate employment. I mean, I've done that. There have been a few times where I've dived back into corporate employment, partly to lick my wounds and partly to see if I could apply what I learned in that intense laboratory in a corporate environment, change agent or whatever. But after a while, I end up thinking the shoes don't fit. I'm walking around in them, and I might look good. I might not, but the damn things don't fit. I got to get out of these and go be what I am. And so I think to some extent, the resilience is a sign of strength. But in some cases, I think it's just a function of the way you're wired. You do it because you have to. You really aren't happy doing anything else. You probably need therapy and medication, but you do it because you have to. But I think there's an identity conversation here a little bit, right? They figured out Absolutely. this is their identity. I have ideas. I need to make them happen. And I'm not going to let anyone stand in my way from doing it to some degree, right? Is that what I'm hearing? There's a consequence of that, though, which is that you're lonely and you find yourself craving the company of other misfits. And so one of the keys to support your resilience and one of the keys to being successful in this is if you can find a group of people who are as crazy as you are and then you walk into the room and you thought god i thought i was the only one that had this (laughs) affliction (laughs) but i'm not these are my people (laughs) i found my i found them i found my tribe exactly and they're all willing to help you sometimes one of them will sit you down and say you know you need a good banker let me introduce you to two that i've worked with and suddenly it's like a homecoming is there so that's interesting so you you finally find a place you can call home and you feel like you're with like-minded people an example of one of these groups you can think of is there one that you lead well i i work with two that i think are just exceptional one is um through mit there's a course called the nuts and bolts of new ventures which is a classic drink from the fire hose and the people who go through that survive end up bonding and the other is a group of high growth entrepreneurs in the midwest kansas nebraska st louis called pipeline entrepreneurs 
And same thing, every one of them walks into that room day one, and, and I lead the first module. So I watch this happening. And they walk in apprehensive and, you know, am I in with another bunch of corporate hammers, et cetera. And they end up looking around and thinking, these people are all crazy. I love them. <laughs> and suddenly they go from feeling competitive to feeling collaborative, you know. You're a thoracic surgeon, and I run a business for lawn care providers, but we both are trying to figure out how to price these things and how to spend less than we make. Let's talk. I love that. And I think the common thread I'm hearing is people willing to sort of open themselves up, be a little bit vulnerable, and take on new perspectives. And Absolutely. I think that, to me, if there's ever been a, a gift that was taught to me by some of my favorite professors over the years and, and mentors is that you've got to take on lots of perspectives to be able to think critically about something. If you just have that one perspective, if I just think about it through the, the thoracic surgeon lens, I might not get all the answers. But if I can talk to the lawn care guy, maybe the tech guy over here, maybe there's a solution we can come to together. I Love that. There's a great vocabulary word that I often throw out in the course of the first module, which is solipsistic. Solipsistic means my reality is the only reality. <laughs> and guess what? <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> there are others. There are others. And you're in a room full of people who have others. So shut up and listen. <laughs> So, Bob, you've done all this teaching, you've done all this work in educating and coaching and training so many entrepreneurs over the years. You know, what are some essential skills that you found that founders lack? Well, if I'm standing in front of a room full of entrepreneurs, some of them are really good at marketing campaigns, and some of them are really good at optimizing manufacturing plants and et cetera. So there are strengths all across the room. But rarely do I find anyone with the full complement of skills that they need. And the two areas that I think are most acutely absent are customer discovery. And how do you find the people who want what you have, not who need it, but who want it badly enough that they will cheerfully shower you with money and tell all their friends? And where are they? Who are they? Where are they? What do they have in common? How do you find them? Who influences them? Because they're not going to believe you. You're a lying entrepreneur. So who who influences them? Who wins if you win? Who would be thrilled to help you win? That's one area that I find people rarely give enough thought to. They spend a lot of time thinking about how am I going to do the work and not nearly enough time thinking about how am I going to get the work. And the other area is that is most frequently and acutely absent, I find, is in building a team. How do I figure out what the right profile of person to hire is for my company? What should I be looking for? And I've ended up constructing almost a little hiring funnel. You know, are they smart enough? Do they have the right skills? Do they have the right character? Are they motivated to see you succeed? Are they more interested in getting the right answer than in being right? You throw a bunch of people in the top and with luck, the winner comes out the bottom. So how do you judiciously hire people? And sooner or later, the job's going to outgrow somebody or you will have simply made a mistake and you have to fire them. And this can be incredibly sticky. I gave a talk at one of these things and one of the attendees came up afterwards and 
She said, Bob, thanks to your presentation, I've realized I have to fire my co-founder. And my co-founder is my husband's cousin. Mm. And I fear all manner of repercussions. So that is don't hire anybody you can't fire. (laughs) But I mean, these are areas that I think warrant some considerable conversation. And I go into them in some depth in in the book. Um, Yeah. Well, I spent enough time with this woman. I said, well, you know, we might be able to salvage this. And you should have a conversation with this sort of relative of yours and ask them, do they think the job fits them exactly as they would want? Because they were technically gifted. They were just appalling in terms of dealing with customers and other people. So pretty soon that person got made uh, chief technical officer and a sole contributor, meaning nobody reported to him. And everybody breathed a huge sigh of relief. The whole family, the company, et cetera. People said, God, now I know. I mean, this guy could piss off the Pope on his birthday. I don't want to deal with him. <laughs> I really appreciate how you've taken this very challenging, potentially very challenging circumstance, having to fire a, a family member or you know a close inner circle person and really kind of flipped it on its head because if they're not, if people inside the company aren't enjoying working with them and they walk on eggshells around them and this whole thing, they're probably not happy in that circumstance either. So you really had a, you really took the opportunity to flip it on its head and say, let's go to that person and say, hey, how's this working out for you, right? What do you think is happening here? Yeah. Is this the highest and best use of your time? Yeah. And it sounds like- And if you could reconfigure your job responsibilities so that they fit you perfectly, what would that look like? And then that person also got to play a role, right? Had a voice in creating this new path for them. And and actively contributed because the fact is in that situation, this fellow was technically gifted. It That's, was just like your basic porcupine. Nobody could get close to him. Wow. What a what a uh, what a saving, what a work of saving a, an opportunity set <laughs> for you and, and making him happier, making everyone in the company happier. I'm guessing delivering better results at some time after this reorg got finished. Yeah, every, everybody was relieved. And the company proceeded. I, I love that. And what you, I think what you did there, most interesting to me, is you pulled back the veil on this whole circumstance and said, instead of let's stop hiding from this guy at the water cooler or whatever, saying, let's just walk into this and say, what's going on here? Let's have a an adult conversation about it. And, you know, the outcomes everybody won. That's fantastic. So a lot of your talk is around this mindset shifter or re-engineering your mindset, I think is how you phrase it in the book. Bob, can we talk? We talked a little bit about it earlier, but can we go to that more deeply? What do you mean by re-engineering your mindset? I have seen too many companies and too many people start with the presumption that their idea is a hit. And if it turns out nobody wants to buy it, then maybe the ad copy is wrong, or the list of people we sent the ad to is wrong, or maybe the price needs to be tweaked and they're they waste years and burn through all of their capital, max out all their credit cards, cause heartache everywhere because they have gotten too close to it. And they fear that if the idea isn't working, then you're trying to tell them that their baby is ugly. And nobody wants to hear, it's my baby. You know, my, you can't tell me my baby's ugly. But that's a classic mindset that I think is fatal for someone who wants to start their own company. You just don't know enough. You should take your idea and test it. 
validate it, if you will, go out there and say, does anybody besides me think this is a good idea? And does anybody besides me think that they should pay for it and maybe reorder it and do it over and over again? And if I can find them, then how do I find more people like you efficiently? And so it's a constant exploration. It's a constant learning exercise. And it's mustering the discipline to stop being dogmatic and about and foolishly about an idea that you had that might not be a good idea. You know, you and I might be able to construct the world's greatest typewriter. But no matter how good the typewriter is, the fact is most people don't want a typewriter. <laughs> and we can spend years trying to tweak the features and the pricing and et cetera, when we should just ask ourselves, are we flawed right up front with our idea? Yeah, that's a that's a hard question to ask, isn't it? Because again, so many people attach their identity to their idea. And if you don't like my identity, then you don't like me. And it becomes this ego battle instead of moving the process forward. One of the greatest lessons I ever learned in my career, and particularly on Wall Street, that I've carried on through my career to this day is uh, my business stalled at one point in 2007 or eight. I kind of grew for years and plateaued. And I kept blaming all these external things. Oh, it's the economy, it's interest rates, all the, you know, all these different things that could impact your business. And I finally, when I when I didn't, I had a terrible year and didn't win any awards this year, which I often did. The guy that won the big award, I ran up to him afterwards and I said, did you do something differently to grow your business so significantly this year? And he won the award for the entire company. And uh, he said, yeah, I went out and surveyed my clients about what it's like working with me. Because at the end of the day, even though we were, even though this is 2011 or 2012. So this was at the time, you know, kind of, holy cow, what is this guy talking about? Right. And I thought, I need to change. Something's missing here and I'm not seeing it. And I went out, took his roadmap, went out and interviewed probably 12 or 15 of my best clients and asked them these simple questions. What's it like working with me? What works? What doesn't? Because at the end of the day, even though I was a salesperson, there was a lot of service involved as well and trying to help them grow their business. And man, did that just a complete 180 on my business that year. My ter my sales took off. One year later, I stood in that same stage as this guy and won that big award. And it changed the trajectory of my career. And I've taken that lesson into leadership on Wall Street. I've taken it into coaching. And it's so powerful to take that feedback, to ask people for what's going on. And so many people are afraid to do that. And it sounds like there's a, a similar mindset here. Don't be afraid to experiment, to try, and ask for feedback. Is that what I'm hearing? And, and you can... You can take the confrontational element out of it if you want. You can say, this is a product. You kind of like it, but it's probably not perfect. This is not a pen. This is actually a magic wand. I'm going to hand it to you. Please wave your magic wand and tell me how you would change this so that it's irresistible. So you absolutely must have it. And engage them. And, and that way they don't have to say, Bob, this thing's a dud. The taste is so god-awful it would stop a rabid dog. Your packaging is horrible. <laughs> I mean, they don't have to be confrontational. They say, oh, well, I can wave my magic wand. There are a few improvements. And, I mean, you can take the, the confrontational element out of it. But asking for honest feedback and then here's the, the critical step that most of us flop at listening <laughs> it's, it's transformational 
I mean, it was the greatest start, stop, continue exercise I've ever been through in my life. And I just continued to, to, to build off of that. And I also like this idea of giving them the magic wand because it lets them sort of even separate further from this is my product, my idea, my identity, and sort of separate completely from it. Just like, let's have an honest conversation about this. So I, honesty is where real things happen or, and real positive things happen. So I love that, that you have that mindset. I ended up at one point running sort of an informal focus group. I had about a dozen people sitting around the table and I was exploring an idea for eye health. And they really weren't all that interested in it. And so I improvised this whole magic wand idea. And they ended up saying, well, Bob, I don't actually give a damn about eye health. What I'm worried about is I'm fat. And I'm and and my aunt Millie walks around with a hump in her back because her bones are getting weak. So I worry about my weight and I worry about bone strength. Now, if you could change this thing from eye health to those things, right? <laughs> Flat right. forehead time. Don't, <laughs> right. don't be a solution. Totally down the wrong path. I'm trying to persuade them to buy something they don't want. How about if I just ask them, "What do you want?" Yeah, right. We we so oftentimes want to be a solution that looks for a problem, right? As opposed to the other way around. Let's Famous go last words. Let's go create, let's go solve a problem for somebody yeah. in this world and a bunch of people. One thing we haven't touched on yet that I'm I'm fascinated by, Bob, you've got this music background. Any correlation or parallels you've seen between lessons from playing music and, and coaching? Yes, very definitely, but it may seem obscure, maybe even metaphysical. I think I shifted from being a guitar player to being a musician when I learned how to listen and play at the same time. Interesting. Because then it went from me thinking of myself as a soloist to me being part of an ensemble and reacting on the fly as stuff happened. How can I contribute? I like where you went with that. I hadn't thought of that. Let me react to it. Ah, you picked up on what I just did. And so there's a collaborative, I hate this cliche, forgive me, synergistic thing that happens when you can listen and play at the same time. And I find in the world of entrepreneurship, the same thing is true. You have to ask the question. You have to listen carefully. You have to interact. And by the way, it helps if you care a little bit about what they're talking about, and which is why to me it's a people world. I like interacting with the group of people in the room. I learn as much as I can about them and their business. Sometimes I say, you know, you've been talking a lot about your goals for building this thing and flipping it so that you have a profitable exit. But when you talk that way, it's perfunctory. When you talk about that orphanage in Venezuela that you're supporting with some of your proceeds, you light up like a Christmas tree. I think you're looking at this through the wrong lens. Or that conversation suddenly shifts dramatically. Oh, my God, you're right. What I really want to do is build a great company. If someday somebody wants to buy it, fine, it will happen when it happens. But I want to build a great company, have an impact, make a contribution to the world. And the, the money will come or it won't, but I don't care. And the whole conversation shifts as a function of that interactive. And, and I kind of got that from years of playing nasty bars with gifted musicians. Listen and react at the same time. That's really Listen awesome. Play simultaneously. 
What a great gift. And as a leader, how important can that be? Because you never know what the environment, what the question, what the heated moment might appear in the boardroom meeting or wherever you are doing your meeting. And you've got to be able to respond in a meaningful way and stay within the rhythm of the circumstance to carry out your musical analogy there. And you can salvage things sometimes, too. There was one evening we were playing a place and the keyboard player and I were swapping solos and he played a little something and accidentally landed on an absolutely god-awful note. And I happened to know what the note was. It was a flat five for the musicians that are out there. And so my interaction, I ended up landing on exactly the same note. And he thought, okay, we just went from being a mistake to being something kind of witty. And he played his next little lick and also landed on that note. And then so did I. And the audience ended up grinning because there was this unexpected, horrible note that we continued to repeat. Afterwards, he said, I owe you a drink, bud. You saved my bacon out there. (laughs) (laughs) I said, well, it was fun. And, And I have been in parallel situations in meetings and in environment. Somebody stands up and they lose track of what they're trying to say and they go off down some wild goose chase path. But there's something of merit down that path. So rather than be abashed and embarrassed, let's let's go with that for a minute or two. Maybe there's something good here. Not being afraid to fail, to do a little innovation, to try something new and sort of have this rhythm between your your, your musical partner, your business partner, whatever it might be. That's incredible. And you found something great from it that the audience appreciated. So I love that lesson. And I love that you found ways to tie your music into your work. But the you. startup, certainly the startup starter kit is coming out this fall, 2022, wherever you buy books online. Bob, so many people find writing a book, it can be a very cathartic experience and they learn from it oftentimes about themselves. Now, what do you think you learned about yourself along the way of putting all these words on paper? Well, two things, I think. One is not particularly profound, but uh, I realized I talked too damn much and that (laughs) most of my communication would be twice as good if I talked half as much. (laughs) So I had to boil a lot of the book away. Two ears, one mouth, right? (laughs) hard to learn. And the second is that uh, I'm no different from the other entrepreneurs that I interviewed and that actually, for me, it's kind of about freedom and autonomy and the hopes that I can make at least a small contribution to the world and leave it a better place. And, And that that actually is what drives me more than money and titles and all of that stuff. That's awesome, right? A journey, even having having done this for a few decades now, still going through this journey of self-discovery learning more about yourself and, and now trying to help more and scale it with, with your book, The Startup Starter Kit. Maybe this falls, maybe that last answer falls into this question as well, but any unexpected positives for you that you found along the way in the journey? Yeah, I'm in the process of crafting the next chapter in my life. and. I'm trying desperately to maintain the self-discipline to follow my own advice and hate it when I have to do that and go out and validate this idea because I know I want to do it. I have to go figure out if I can make the economics work well enough that this idea of conference speaking, workshops, et cetera, can actually be something I pursue full-time or if it's going to be like, the music, and that I will pursue it with passion, but as a side project. So 
what came out of that was the recognition that I really do like this. I find it gratifying. I find it fulfilling. Every now and then, some poor misguided person tells me I did a good job for them. So maybe there's some capability there. And it was not quite what I expected. So I'm, I'm going to dig in and see if, if this will actually become justifiable full-time activity for me. That is awesome. Put, being an author, getting out, doing more speaking engagements, continue to help entrepreneurs. I love that. So the Startup Starter Kit, Bob, what's the key message you have for listeners and readers out there? If you go down this road, <laughs> it's going to be harder and more challenging to your sense of who you are than you ever anticipated. If you make it through all of that, you will find it to be richly rewarding. It will make you stronger and more self-confident and more self-sufficient than you are today. But you will earn those credentials. Through the journey, through making it happen. And I love this, this again, continuing on this theme of self-discovery and you know, knowing facing this with facing this entrepreneurship journey with a, a, a realistic perspective, which is, it's not going to be easy, right? But if you can make it through that side, work on your mission to help others, to grow a business, to do employ people, all of these things, you're going to come out a better person on the other side. I, I really oh, it's an that. economic driver. I mean, innovation creates economic drive. New businesses create, as an, I mean, new businesses are an economic driver. You really are making a tangible contribution to the world in addition to the personal growth that you'll experience. But it'll be the hardest thing you've ever done. No doubt about it. But certainly, it sounds like a fantastic roadmap in your book. And certainly, people can can call you up and, and seek your services as well. Bob, what is your next uh, your next What's the next big goal for you? Well, my next big goal is the bodacious launch party that I'm cooking up for about a month from now. <laughs> and and then after that, I'm going to be pursuing the people for whom I've already given conference speeches and talks. I'm going to go way in with some speakers bureaus. I'm finding interesting things. Here's one anecdote quick. Like I have done some work for an association that's got about 21,000 members in it. And every year their new graduates for many, many years would get out and want to go for the big companies in their field. So the Fortune 50, Fortune 100 employers was the typical path. And this that's changed in the last couple of years. And about 30% of their new graduates don't want anything to do with that. They want to go to work for themselves. And they look to their association for leadership, and their association is nonplussed by this. And they say, this is a, an unmet need. And it's it's big. I mean, 30% times 21,000, a lot of people. And it's growing. And I might be able to help. So, you know, it's a series of DVDs based essentially on chapters in the book, et cetera, to be explored. Also, John, based on what I've learned about the persistent loneliness and the need for community, I think I'm going to start a series of master classes, maybe made for two hours every two weeks for 12 weeks. And we'll pick a topic and a guest speaker at the beginning of the class and then interact after that. So we'll sort of grow our way through the skill sets 
the spectrum of skill sets that you need and attitude shifts that you need to be successful with this. So I'm exploring that as well. I think I'm going to do that. I love that. And as probably you got a good sense of going through this author journey and working with all these folks in a cohort-based concept, a cohort-based situation, you creation is a powerful force, much like in a book or entrepreneurship, building a business, a product, a service. But man, is it more much more manageable if you can go through it with a community where you can share ideas and bounce ideas off each other and have that support system. I absolutely and you hold each other accountable, which is key. Right. Mm. I, I tried very hard to quit my book twice throughout the journey. And it was very much the system, <laughs> the community that really, and my editor, early ed, the, the early editor that really taught me off the ledge. That was very powerful. Mm -hmm. Well, Bob, unbelievable story here. The Startup Starter Kit due out this fall, 2022, wherever you buy books online. If people want to learn more about you and your story, where, where might they go? The Startup Starter Kit.com. Or you can drop me a note, Bob Jones, one word, at the Startup Starter Kit.com. So many great stories, so many great nuggets, such extraordinary wisdom that's come from the school of hard knocks, right? In your case, and often this just relentless pursuit of learning and being willing to say, maybe I haven't got this figured out. Is there another way? And then passing that on to others. What a what a great story. Thank sounds you. like I, sounds like I'm not the only one who likes your story so far, Bob. You got this great praise quote I want to share with our listeners from Joe Hadzima. Founder MIT 100,000K Business Plan Competition, Global Chair MIT Enterprise Forum. He said about your book, don't even take one step on an entrepreneurial journey without reading this book. I have worked with literally thousands of would-be entrepreneurs over the years. Bob Jones has the absolutely unique ability to distill the craziness out there and present it in a clear, common sense manner. Wow. How did it feel to get that quote from Mr. Hedzima? Joe's a big deal. He's very low-key. He not only founded the 100K competition and was chairman for the whole world for the MIT Enterprise Forum, but MIT undergrad, Harvard Law School, MIT Business School, very successful career, columnist for Boston Business Journal, et cetera. He's a big deal. And so I was thunderstruck that he would say those great things and, and quite flattered. I mean, I've never seen Joe be that unilateral about anything because you know life is full of nuances and as a an attorney you look at the nuances but he was very unequivocal and i loved it that's that is amazing what a what a great quote to, to share and help people get a sense of what your book is about unbelievable lessons about customer discovery, finding out what your skills are missing, how to apply them, and how to get into the nuances and oftentimes complex situations that, that it takes to get an entrepreneurship journey off the ground. Can't wait to see your book out there online, wherever you buy them. This fall, 2022, the Startup Starter Kit. Go out and get your copy today. Bob, great to see you. Thank you so much for being on the community, creator community and sharing your story with us today. It's been a great pleasure. And a quick testimonial for that institute, John, if you're results-driven, a year ago, I didn't have a book. Today, I have a book. The results speak for themselves. So thank you. It's been a privilege to be a part of all of this. A pleasure. It's really been a great to, to be a part of this small part of this journey with you, Bob. Thanks again. My pleasure. Don't forget to subscribe to the Creator Community channel on your favorite podcast platform. If you enjoyed this episode, please share us a review. And if you're ready to write your book, visit creator.institute to learn more about the cohort starting this fall. I'm your host of the Creator Community, John Saunders. Keep creating.